Sorry, I didn't get my stuff put together there. Uh, with Juan and Carlis, just to mention that uh, the baby was born C-section, so you can pray for mom, or I can pray for Carlis that way. Those of you who've been there know how that's done. Secondly, there's nothing wrong with Esther. Esther's fine. The Marstons and the Velgies had planned a couple weeks ago to take a Sunday. She said, I've never been to other churches in the Northwest to see what they do. And so they are out skipping around, checking out other services this week just so that they can see what others are doing during worship. And uh, so that's, that's where they are. So we said, that's a great idea. Go do it. And uh, that's why Terry was leading this morning. So that's all good there. And then, of course, the news today, coronavirus, right? So just so you know, we're following all the alerts and, and going more than the extra step to wipe everything down and, and do that kind of stuff. Uh, in every group, right, there are vulnerable parts to the population. So this week I called a number of our vulnerable families and just said, hey, stay home, right? And uh, just told them, you're fine. We'll, you know, while this is going on, just stay put. You can download the messages um, on Monday. Um, we'll keep you alerted, e-news and Facebook and website, if there's any changes, like what Rob said. to, um, we're, we're choosing a course of being wise and prudent, but not reacting out of fear. All right. Quite frankly, the fear levels I'm seeing people react are like it's totally out of proportion. I'm like, what is going on? So, um, you know, you, we want to be careful, but wise and prudent. Um, as I said last week, and, and you're here for this, Jesus has us covered. All right. Let's land on that. Jesus has us covered. And uh, we do not have to live in fear. We can actually do the opposite, live in his joy. And, and have that approach, and people will think you're kind of weird. That might be good. We might get to share. All right? Um, but he's with us. He's not caught by surprise by this whole thing. And um, it's a wonderful time to fully submit to his leadership and, and to put all the eggs in his basket, right? This is one of those times where you go, where am I with the Lord? And if there's some mark, hey, let me get the eggs in his basket. Let me get back to where I'm fully on board uh, with what he's doing. So... Uh, just challenge us, you know, with the question, are you right? Are you trusting him? And uh, if not, it's a great time to do that and um, to walk in obedience. Jesus is our confidence, not the CDC or our government nor news outlets. All right. So uh, I'd like to keep that there uh, that way. And uh, often in times like these, what's really cool is God can work in fresh ways. He can work in different ways. Uh, because things aren't running down the normal track, so let's pray that way. And I'd like to encourage you to keep your eyes, um, you know, be praying and keep your eyes open in the days and the weeks and months ahead to see, to watch him working. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, welcome. <laughs> in the midst of the chaos, right? It's, it's a good deal. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing a series. It's been a great series, and this morning's going to be uh, the, in the same line. We're in Mark chapter 14. Let's do a little back trail uh, where we were last week. Remember, uh, they had just finished the Last Supper and we found the disciples were walking uh, down the trail. They're heading from Bethany and they're heading over to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. The three takeaways that we had from last week is that it's better to listen to Jesus than to tell Jesus. Right? We talked about listening to him in prayer instead of telling him in prayer. Uh, so often we tend to do that. Number two, don't overestimate your ability to vow something, right? And we saw all the disciples proclaiming, declaring, and uh, Scripture just says it's better if you just said yes or no, right? And keep it, keep it there. 
And then the third one is, uh, make sure you listen to the whole thing. They only listened to half of what Jesus said, and they started bantering back and forth with him and never even listened to the whole statement. And the whole statement is, and after this, after I resurrect, I will go and meet you in Galilee. He already had him covered, just like he's got us covered today. So we should be listening that way. Uh, there was another beautiful gem hidden in last week that uh, I didn't fully uh, play out, and I just want to. In Psalms 118, remember the Psalm of Ascents? And uh, there was this Psalm that we were looking at. It said, I thank you that you've answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That section right there, um, uh, Ben Russell gave me this insight after the service. He said, Steve, there's a a piece in there that he discovered when he went to um, Israel. And it goes like this. Uh, I thank you that you've answered me and become my salvation. Do you know what the, the Hebrew word for salvation is? Yeshua. Yeshua. Gee, that name sound familiar? So if you read this, it says, I thank you that you have answered me and become my Yeshua. Ben was literally standing in Jerusalem and he heard them saying, he goes, wait a minute, I know that name, right? And so if you put that all together... They're singing the song of ascent going into Jerusalem saying, I thank you that you've answered me and become my Jesus. That's really what, how profound is that? Uh, I I just thought it was amazing. This beautiful and stunning symmetry in the word of God. And there's levels there that we'll never fully mine, right? So cool. Uh, So uh, thanks, Ben. That was good. So this morning we find Jesus and his disciples in Gethsemane. So let's pray. Let's ask God to give us a heart and mind for his word this morning. Lord, thank you for those beautiful gems. There's just layers of things that play themselves out. And Lord, as we're here this morning, you know our circumstances, you know our culture, you know our timing, you know all the stuff going on. And we seek you. We seek you. We seek your heart. We seek you for people really who don't know you. Lord, we know a lot of people are battling business things. We think of our friends over at Elevated... uh, Normally our parking lot's full. It was empty this week. And we know that uh, Arthur and half the gang know you and love you. And Lord, we think of other small businesses and people like that. And we just lift that up to you. We ask, Lord, that people would bow the knee to you. And as we walk through, Lord, this profound moment in the garden, uh, play these things out and not just get our head, but get our heart. Get us thinking with you. Get us thinking in the context and help us understand it. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to start uh, here in Mark, we're uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 32, and it reads, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Uh, This is a fascinating and an an amazing scene. So just to set the context, it's night, it's dark, it's probably after midnight. They've come to the garden, which the Gospels tell us they've been to many times before. It was a regular meeting spot. And uh, even the name Gethsemane is interesting uh, do you know what Gethsemane means? 
olive press. So it was the place where they pressed olives. And it, literally, it's a grove of olive trees. And Gethsemane means the garden of pressing. All right? And uh, so Jesus goes there. If you look at the symbolism of that, Jesus goes there to be pressed and to endure one of his greatest temptations. Isaiah says that he was literally crushed for our iniquities. And that just plays out in the Gethsemane like crazy here. Um, It was here in the garden before his father that he yielded to being crushed for the sin of the world. So the twelve are now down to eleven. Eight are left in one spot. And Jesus goes about a stone's throw away, takes Peter, James, and John with him. And we now come to the moment that is seen as the greatest picture of Jesus' humanity, his suffering and passion in the garden. And it is an intimate portrait that is painted for us. It tells us that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Um, When you combine those two words together in in the Greek language, you look at it, uh, it, it paints a picture of the... When they're paired together, it's like it's an extremely acute emotion. All right, Um, it's a fusion of bewilderment and fear and uncertainty and anxiety, all kind of woven together. Okay, Um, we would say he's freaked out. That's how we'd say it in our culture, right? You ever hit something where you just freak out and just inside you're just that. That's what this is trying to describe to us right here. And you go, well, Jesus freaked out? No, that can't be. Jesus is God. He's got it all together, right? He never loses it. Well, what, what are we looking at here? What's, what's suddenly happening? And what's happening is the weight of his full assignment from the Father is hitting, right? He's, he, he's seen it before, but now it's hitting him full force and, it, and the actual cost is being palpable. He now sees it. He, he, it's no longer theoretical that this might happen. He now knows the time has come and it's uh, playing itself out. You know, I think we understand this, right? For example, it's one thing if you have an assignment, right? At school or work or take whatever situation you have an assignment, right? That's one thing. It's another thing um, to accept that assignment, Right? If you're a kid in high school and you get an algebra class, okay, you know, the question is whether you accept the assignment or not. Are you going to walk out and actually do it? Or are you going to just look at it and nod your head? Uh, And it's another thing to actually face the assignment. If you're that kid with the algebra assignment, it's something to actually go home, sit on your desk, and start to do it. Look at it. I've got to get this done. But it's an entirely different thing to shoulder the assignment. Where you lean in, just like doing a message. It's one thing I know I have to do a message every Sunday. It's another thing to look at the text. It's another thing to shoulder it. Right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but doing a message is a mysterious and amazing process. Because God takes you places where you never thought it would go. And Jesus is now shouldering the assignment. When that happens, you become aware of a couple things. First of all, you become aware of the pressure, especially if you procrastinated, right? And you also become aware of the weight. 
And then you also start to understand the cost. Uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary says, Nowhere else in Jesus's, uh, is do we see Jesus' ministry, do we see the human struggle portrayed in such vivid terms. This is where it all comes crushingly together. And he says this, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed, If it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And yet, not what I will, but what you will. Peter, James, and John are apparently brought along for moral support. Right? They were his inner posse. And uh, Jesus wrestled with the reality of the call that was set before him. And what this is trying to describe to us is massively painful, emotionally terrifying as he looked at what was playing out here. The word we would use is agony. You ever been in agony? I've thrown kidney stones. I've been in agony. Okay? I can tell you what agony looks like. I can tell you what it feels like. Okay? You are literally laying there and thinking you're going to die and actually hoping you might. That's agony. All right? And this is the kind of pain that they're trying to describe to us that Jesus is facing. We so often brush over this and say, oh, he was God. He just coasted through it. It was easy. He like, yeah, the cross nailed. Ah, piece of cake. No, 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 no. Terrifying. Terrifying. He was human too. He had a body. He knew what this was going to feel like, what the crush was going to take place. And it says here, literally, he was feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. So let's be real. We can talk about our pressure, right? And we face pressures. Nothing like that. Nothing like this. Okay? This is entirely different. The actual weight of the sins of the world are in front of him. Jesus himself says in this passage that he is sorrowful, what? To the point of death. This is darn near killing him. The overwhelming nature of Jesus knowing that he will take the hit for our sins. And the price tag tied to that is creating a sorrow that is nearly overwhelming Jesus. He literally says it's almost killing him. You see this reflected in his prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Is there another way? Wouldn't you have asked that? I would have. You know, that was a good plan. Could we come up with plan B? Another one, right? But also notice the end of the prayer. What did he say? Abba, Father. All things are possible. Do you know that the Jewish people would not use the term Abba when it came to in relationship to God because they felt it was disrespectful because God was holy and high and exalted and Abba was a term of intimacy that they couldn't use. But Jesus didn't have a problem with that. Why? Because he was God and that was his dad. And so Abba, Father, the, the, the most tender form of intimacy that we would know. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba literally means daddy, right? We know that. Okay. It's an extremely intimate term. As I said many times before, and here we see it in its most compelling moment. Jesus never asks something from us that he hasn't first done himself. 
He's modeling for us. What's he modeling? Obedience. He yields to the Father's will. And let me ask you a question this morning that most of us never think of. Right? There's always two sides to a coin. We can look at uh, Jesus here and understand that. But do you think it was any easier for the Father? Right? We kind of have this picture of God's impervious and He's not affected by anything and He's the perfect everything that sits in heaven and nothing can bother Him. And so He's just kind of, you know, sitting back. He's got His bucket of popcorn and soda, you know, dispassionately just watching the movie scroll by. Is that how it played out? Is that what God was going through? Scripture tells us that God's heart was wrenched, that it was wretched watching his son go through this moment. The hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, gives us a small glimpse. It says, How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Just because they knew what they had to do doesn't mean it was easy. Jesus is racked and tortured during this whole agonizing prayer session only to come back and find his support people, find them sleeping, clunked out. We would say out like a light, right? Completely missing both the intent and the importance of the moment. In fairness, they were gassed. They had had some big events. They were running full bore. It's after midnight. They can, right? They're, 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 they're completely gone. But in fairness also, they caved in. Uh, the metaphor for the word sleep in the New Testament is a, has a euphemistic meaning, which uh, is the picture of one yielding to sin and being indifferent to one's salvation. We would call it being asleep on the job. Right? Not paying attention. Uh, Corinthians says that the God of this world blinds us. And the picture there is by blinding we fall asleep. We're not paying attention to life and to the light. And so this is the picture that you see uh, there in the garden. And it says, oops, there we go. It says that he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Note the direct focus on Peter. It's gone from, even if all fall away, I will die for you, to could you not watch for one hour? Is that like Peter or what? The call to pray is an important one because it's a call not to drift. right? We call it what? Drifting off into sleep? And how many times have you seen people drift off into sin? How many times have you seen yourself drift in your obedience? Right? There's that tendency uh, for us to understand that. Drift into what? What are we talking about? Drift into temptation here. There are two battles actually going on. The one battle we're talking about is the one with Jesus and the ownership of the plan that he and God had laid out. Uh, Scripture says before the foundation of the world. But the other one is with the disciples. It's for them to be support to Jesus and to stand in the gap with them 
and the battle's going on. Jesus handles his magnificently. The disciples don't. Now, before we jump all over them, which is easy to do, let me ask a question. When was the last time you prayed for an hour? Not five minutes, not an hour. When's the last time you prayed for an hour? You know, Jesus said to Peter, could you not watch for one hour? Yeah, Peter, you idiot, you scumbag, you dope. (laughs) Hang on a second. When was the last time we prayed for an hour? How many hands would go up? Don't raise your hands, okay? Don't, I'm not asking. I'm just saying it's easy to critique others and not hold that critique for ourselves. Most of us can get barely five minutes in if we pray at all. Again, husbands and wives, the number one thing you can do for God to be at work in our church is to pray together. You are the shield, the covering. Single people, you've got to find a posse. You've got to find a group that you can pray with and that you seek the Lord for His benefit for our church family. It provides an enormous shield. If we don't pray together, that shield falls apart. And then we express the flesh rather than the Spirit. By the way, I'm looking at Bob Self. Bob Self, happy birthday. 86 years young. Give them a hand. That is so cool. <laughs> there we go. An hour, uh, especially here, when, he, when is he talking about Peter praying? After midnight. Right? So what, what Jesus said to them is true for us as well. Indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? So I, I find staying up after nine is a, a major faith step these days. Okay. So he rouses them, he gets them going in, then he goes back to pray. Watch what happens again. He went away and prayed, saying the same words. So Jesus goes back, repeats to the Father, second time, just to make sure. And again he came, came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Have you ever literally been caught like this with your hand in the cookie jar, and you're so embarrassed you don't know what to say? Like, we literally say, I, I don't know what to say, right? That's the phrase we use for it. Um, they had no comeback. They, they, they're literally groggy. Jesus comes, looks at them, and they're like, I don't know, right? Notice that not even Peter has something to say here, right? That's telling. Because usually Peter will flap his mouth first and then think, and he's got nothing to say it's highly likely that they didn't even realize that Jesus went back and prayed for the third time. Right? The picture here is uh, kids falling asleep on a a car ride. You ever done that? Right? And hey, we got to... Right? And so Jesus goes back. He goes the third time. And it says this. He came the third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, this, uh, in ESV, it's, it, it is enough that we would understand that better translated. Enough! Right? That way. That's how we should render it. Meaning, okay, it's settled. Done. 
No more talking about the issue. The cup will not be taken away and the Father's will is for Him to go to the cross. So that's, it's settled now. Notice how settled and resolute Jesus appears. The battle's over. All right, here we go. And He knows the timing and how it's going to play out. He's won the battle even though everything hasn't actually transpired yet. It's resolved in Him that it will carry out exactly the way the Father wants it to. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The hour has come. And out of their stupor and their grogginess, so the disciples are still trying to come to and and wake up, uh, suddenly they're wide awake. And, and they see, as they see torches below and they hear the mob coming, uh, right? You know that adrenaline hit you get when all of a sudden you're not paying attention, and then, ha! Oh, right? And they can see, that, they can see this, the group moving up through the garden towards them. And, um, but although they're full of adrenaline and hyper alert, they're also off balance. Unlike Jesus, they are not on top of what's transpiring. And you ask the question, well, what throws them off? What, what gets them uh, discombobulated, right? Why are they uh, not tracking right? Well, the mob, as the mob comes, what do they see? Who's the mob led by? Judas. Judas. Ju- what? What? I, what's he? he? He's on our What's he doing over there? What? Like, and, and they're just... Like, this is making no sense. What is Judas doing with that group of people? He's supposed to be on our side. And so they're, they're thrown by this. Something's terribly wrong, and they're not totally able to fully comprehend what. I want to pause the movie right here and go back to Jesus. And again, ask the question, what was he modeling for us? We'll come back to the disciples next week, but... What was he modeling for us? And I, I want to put this really clearly. Oops. Let me go back. Okay, there we go. Oh, I forgot to put that in there. Okay. Well, you're going to have to imagine it's up there. It's the issue of the cross. It's the issue of doing God's will and being obedient no matter what the cost is. Philippians says it this way, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now think about that with what we just walked through. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This cross image certainly applies to us. We've been admonished to pick up our cross and follow him as well. And there's two versions of this saying in the New Testament. Uh, One is in Matthew that you see up here on the screen behind me. And the other one is in Luke. And I want to look at those this morning. And rather than saying different things, they actually highlight for us different emphasis with the same outcome and meaning. So let's look at them. In Matthew 16, it reads this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. (laughs) Right? I don't know how that... I always shake when I read that. Notice the emphasis here is on what? Obedience. Okay? This is on obedience. This... If you love me, Jesus said, what? You will keep my commandments. Do I show my love for the Father by obeying him in the Spirit? Jesus said of himself, uh, I, do as ex- I do exactly as my Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. That one's found in John's Gospel. Okay. The second rendition of the thing is found in Luke chapter 9 and it gives us another side of the coin. It reads almost identical, but there's a shift in it. It says this, If anyone would come after me, let him <coughs> excuse me, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And then here's the, here's the shift. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will be the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So in the first one, notice what, what is it? I will come back and everyone will be judged according to what they've done. In this version, I'm going to come back and I'm, I'm looking for those who are not ashamed. Those who will still identify with me. Those who are not ashamed of me or ashamed of my word and uh, will stand with me. So in Matthew, the emphasis is in obedience. In Luke, what's the emphasis on? Identity. Isn't that amazing? Obedience and identity. Do you see how those play together? Forever is ashamed of me in words. Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. As things fall apart in our culture, I've been trying to coach us. um, How do we identify and stay tracking with Jesus in the midst of all the craziness that's going on in our culture? Um, And the question is, here in Luke is... um, based off identity here, um, will I be ashamed of him and his word? Or will I stand with it? I revealed a few weeks ago how I've worked this out in my own mind with the response. Is I said this, I am a believer in and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the Bible is the word of God. So if I get thrown in jail, if I get challenged with stuff, how I'm going to come back with is I am a believer in and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and I believe the Bible's the Word of God. For me, that encapsulates these two things, obedience and identity. Okay? This is where I'll land. I'll die for that. Okay? You can take me out for that. Put a gun to my head, pull the trigger, I'll go down for that. Okay? And I think we're getting to the place where we have to start weighing it that way again. I think we've got to get back to where it's all on the line for the Lord that way. I hope it isn't, but I think it might be. 
really what we're seeing here is the same coin. I obey who I identify with, right? And I identify with who I obey. That's, that's true at work. That's true of your marriage. That's true of your family. That's true. And it's also true with Jesus. Okay? I obey who I identify with and I identify who I obey. If I'm not willing to be identified with Jesus, am I going to obey him? No. Right? And am I going to obey somebody that I don't want to identify with? No. Those Luke and Matthew are giving us the same coin, just two different sides of the coin. I wanted to take a cue this morning from uh, the disciples and say, let's not be asleep at the wheel. Remember uh, when Jesus said to them earlier, he said, be awake, right? Be awake and the challenge. And I said it would come back to roost later because in the garden, do we find them awake or asleep? Asleep, right? Jesus knew it was coming. He was trying to warn them. They just weren't paying attention. And I think the same thing is true in our culture. Jesus is trying to warn us. He's saying, be awake. Don't be asleep at the wheel. Let's identify with our great Savior and know where we stand. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for that picture. It's a valuable picture. And uh, we know that we're as susceptible to losing our focus and attention or falling asleep at the wheel as the disciples are. It is so easy to let secondary things take our attention away from primary things. We make our problems bigger than you. We make our circumstances bigger than you. And then that's the reason why we can't, we say, or really we won't obey. And Lord, what you modeled in the garden is nothing is too big for obedience. What a powerful example. Thank you for modeling for us. Thank you for showing us what it looks like. And Lord, in that garden, uh, I can't imagine what the crush of the weight that felt like. But we are so deeply grateful that you took the hit for us that should have been ours. And as we walk through this this morning, I'm sure many of us flashed our backgrounds and our sins and realized, wow, what a privilege to be covered by you. Lord, may, may we help us be uh, witnesses in this culture. Help us to be looking for opportunities. Help us to stay focused and not get hyped on the fear. And we ask this in your name. Amen.